So good to see you. Welcome to church. This is officially for us at One Six Church. This is our last Sunday church service of 2021. Yeah. We don't have church next Sunday. If you're new and you're like, what is that all about? Every fourth Sunday, we won't be here. You can show up, but you'll be all by yourself. <laughs> We're sleeping in, going to breakfast, doing whatever we feel like doing with friends and family on the fourth Sunday. But we will be here Christmas Eve. So I don't know if you have plans on Christmas Eve, but this this Friday... We're going to have a Christmas Eve service, candlelight, and I hope you could join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be one hour long. We'll start right at 5.30. We'll end right at 6.30. If you want to show up early at 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve, we're going to have live jazz in the lobby. We'll have like cider and coffee, and we have a, a photo booth you can take pictures with. And I think there's like a, is there like a Frosty? I think there's a Frosty the Snowman running around with the kids. The actual Frosty the Snowman will be here. So, yeah, he's here. He just he says he's coming to our church, so it's going to be great to have him here. <laughs> Jordan, Wiley, love you guys. These two guys, I, I, I aspire to look like these guys. <laughs> um, Jordan's been helping me a little bit. I, there's a few people in our community that, are, that help me. Uh, clearly, I need to lose weight. <laughs> Jarrell helps me with lifting. Jordan helps me with eating. And Jordan, I've been losing so much weight, bro. These pants are falling down. And so, Okay. <laughs> A little humble brag. So if you see me yanking on my pants all Sunday morning, I didn't realize that they no longer fit. They keep falling. So I'm going to do my best not to let those fall down. <laughs> it's your fault, man. <laughs> hey, we are um, we're in a series, and I'm excited to kind of end it. It's been a December series called All is Calm, All is Bright. And uh, this will be the last installation of that. Christmas Eve, just so you know what that service looks like, we're going to sing carols. I'll share for maybe 15 minutes or so, uh, and then we'll take communion together as a community, and then we'll sing some more Christmas carols, because how many of you know, you should sing a lot of Christmas carols on Christmas Eve, and then we'll do Silent Night, and we'll light the candles. It's going to be really, really special, and so um, that's what that service will look like. So this is officially kind of the last sermon that I'll preach uh, in 2021, and I'm excited. I feel good about it. I think it's going to help you and minister to you, and we're going to leave here better than when we came in. Amen? Before I get going, we are going to do something in January. Um, we're going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting. And if you've never heard of that or been a part of that, um, that's something that I, I love to kind of do that at the beginning of a year. And so starting January 9th, it's a Sunday, we'll go 21 days as a community. And it's, it's voluntary. You don't have to. <laughs> like, I can't eat for 21 days. <laughs> Some of you would literally die. Um, I can clearly go for many days without food. I have so much in reserve. Um, but it's voluntary. And so you can do a portion of those 21 days. And I'll be talking more about it, what it means. And fasting really is a biblical thing. It's not anything you have to do. Fasting means abstaining from food. So um, that doesn't change God. It changes us. And the reason I fast from time to time is it helps me get clear. It's amazing when you remove things like noise and just food, things that kind of take our attention and kind of numb us. And food is good. I'm all for food. Clearly, you can see that. Um, but when you kind of take those away, it's amazing how much clearer God gets. Um, he's always talking. We just can't always hear him. So we're going to take 21 days, and maybe you want to do one of those days or none of those days. Some of you might not fast food, but you might fast other things, certain types of food. Um, there's different types of fast. There's a Daniel fast where people will just eat like fruits and vegetables and nuts, and they'll do that. And so um, some people um, are actually going to probably fast media. Maybe it's Netflix. 
good luck with that. <laughs> Some of you would rather fast food than fast Netflix. <laughs> Some people are going to fast social media. Just take a break from social media for a few days. Maybe it's all 21 days or, or one of the weeks or whatever. And so it's, it's completely up to you. We're not, we're not going to be religious about it, but I'm excited for 21 days as a church. We're going to pray and fast. The whole thought is when you're not eating, the time you would have had to have that meal, or when you're not scrolling on your phone, the time you would have spent endless hours going through Instagram or TikTok, whatever the kids do these days, um, that you would take that time and just get along with God. You could pray or you could just be there with God and just kind of take those moments and listen. And I'm believing we'll see a lot of, a lot of amazing things start out the year of 2022 with prayer and fast. So I'm excited. And then we'll break that fast together on January 29th. It's a Saturday night right here. We'll do worship night, the first worship night we've ever done. And we're just going to sing and we're going to worship and maybe we'll have food in the lobby afterwards because we'll be starving. (laughs) So how many of you might consider perchance maybe joining us for the 21 days of prayer? All right. That's, that's, that's pretty good. Some pretty good odds. I'm excited about that. We'll give you more information as we get going in January, and I'm excited for that. All right, if you got your Bibles, here we are, the last sermon of 2021. Um, Go with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read again the Christmas narrative. We've been been reading from this all month, and we'll finish it again today. Just pulling something different each time. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 8. says this, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. I love it. It's poetic. It speaks to me. It's not just a, not just a nice thing to read with a tinkling piano in the background on Christmas, but I I think it's going to give us hope. It's going to lift our eyes. It's going to encourage us. I can't wait to talk more about it. Let's go one more place, if you will. Psalms chapter 29. Psalm chapter 29. In Psalm chapter 29, I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's 11 verses, so chill. I read fast. It'll be, it'll be all right. Um, the first 10 verses, almost the entire chapter, is devoted to talking about how awesome, powerful, and might I say almost fearful God is. It's, it's just dedicated, like God is bigger than you thought, more powerful than you could have ever imagined, so much so that if you, if you didn't know that he loved you, you should be afraid. It might be the exact kind of like feeling that the shepherds got that night when the whole armies of heaven and the angels showed up and they said, glory to God in the highest. And the Bible says that they were very afraid and the angel had to tell them, don't be afraid. It's almost like Psalms 29, the first 10 verses of it, are just resounding how great and awesome and powerful and almost awful, like A-W-E, like full of all God is. And then verse 11, the Bible gives us a promise. So I want to read that now that you have that context. It starts out in verse 1. It says, bravo, God, bravo. 
God and all angels shout encore and all before the glory and all before God's visible power. Stand at attention. Dress your best to honor him. God thunders across the waters, brilliant, his voice and his face streaming brightness. God across the floodwaters. God's thunder, tympanic. God's thunder, symphonic. God thunders, smashes cedars, even topples the northern cedars. The mountain ranges skip like spring colts and the high ridges jump like wild kid goats. God's thunder spits fire. God thunders and the wilderness quakes. He makes the desert of Kadesh shake. God's thunder sets the oak trees dancing, a wild dance whirling. The pelting rain strips their branches. We fall to our knees and we call out glory. Above the floodwaters is God's throne from which his power flows, from which he rules the world. (laughs) It's like, don't mess with this God. Now look at verse 11. That's the whole chapter. Then verse 11, God makes his people strong. This God, this mighty, powerful, awesome God. God makes his people strong and God gives his people peace. Amen. If you won't say it, I will. God makes his people strong and God gives his people peace. I like to title this talk, the last in our series, You Are My Rock and My Refuge. You are my rock and my refuge. God, I thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're with us, Lord. I pray that you would do what only you can do now. Would you speak to us through your word? Thank you for peace. Thank you for hope. Thank you for strength. Thank you for all that you are, God. I pray that you would you would speak to every man and woman that's listening, either here in the room or listening later on by audio, Lord, that you would just, your presence would be so tangible. You know the story of our life. You know where we are. You know the season we're in. You know exactly what it is we need to hear. And I pray you would take the words that I'm going to say and you'd use them so much further than I ever could. And thank you that you speak to us. You speak through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said Amen. Amen. My rock and my refuge. Um, are, you, are you prone to worry? I, I'm, 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 I have been. I'm not anymore. If you know me, I'm not much of a worry wart. But growing up as a kid, I had a very, 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 very serious worry problem. It, it became a habit. I worried about literally everything. I'd worry about like if we could pay the bills. I'd worry about if the lights would go out. I'd worry about if my dad would lose his job. I would worry about if there was going to be enough food in the refrigerator. I had six brothers and sisters. We grew up in Chicago and Baltimore. We didn't have much money. So food was not abundant. And so in fact, when my mom would go shopping, I was such a worry ward that when she would get home and unpack all the groceries from the store, I would go and stock up. Twinkies, bagels, little fishies, you know, the crackers. I just, my room would just, I stock up because if, if someone's going to die, it ain't going to be me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I just worried. I worried about everything. I worried all the time. I was an incessant worrier. So much so that I remember I went to a doctor once because I was feeling sick and I, I was like, my stomach hurts. And my mom was like, I don't know what's going on. He's like, does he worry a lot? And the doctor, and my mom's like, oh yeah, he won't stop worrying. It's perpetual. And she's like, well, the doctor says, she's like, well, there's a good chance that he could develop an ulcer if he doesn't stop worrying, to which I worried endlessly about getting an ulcer. <laughs> I remember like, what? It hurts. You know, in my mind, I'm like, I have an ulcer, you know, and, and I don't know where it ended or somehow, some way it kind of stopped. And I think it was probably linked to a couple instances, two of which I remember vividly. One was um, a bill collector. 
There was some bill collector. I don't know the story. I was young. I was probably like 12 or 11. And I don't know. My parents, we never had a ton of money. And I don't know the whole story, so I can't say that they were righteous. But this bill collector was literally calling our house, and he was harassing us. I remember answering the phone. He was like, put your mom on the phone. Put your mom on the phone. And he was kind of rude and harsh. And I'll never forget one, one family dinner. My mom picked up the phone, and she's talking, and she starts crying. She starts crying. And I guess my parents owed money. And I don't know. I don't know if it was like legal or illegal. I'm not sure what was going on. But they owed money. And my mom starts crying, which made me worry. I'm like, why is she crying? What's happening? My dad gets on the phone. He's like, hey, I'll never forget it. My dad. Now, if you haven't met my dad, we had, you could have never met my dad. He died. <laughs> so thanks for bringing that up. But if you ever had met my dad, <laughs> if you ever met my dad, he's very kind of like an unassuming guy. But he wasn't, he wasn't that guy. He was, he was a lethal weapon. He was Black Beret in the Vietnam War. I once asked my father, Dad, did you ever kill a man? And he looked at me real serious. And he said, son, the Bible makes it very clear. There is a difference between murder and killing. I've never murdered a man. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like this is my dad, and so, um, and he had a past that we never spoke of, <laughs> and so, but he had found Jesus. He was God. He was he was a God fearing man. Now he was a used car salesman and a pastor. Wrap your mind around that. And this is what he did. And so, I'll never forget. My dad gets on the phone, and he's like, "Hey, I got your money." Oh, yeah, got it. Yeah, come on over. Come right over to the house right now. I have your money. Meanwhile, my mom's crying. And I'm thinking, like, oh, man, we're going to have to move. We don't have money. We're so poor. And I'm just, I'm having this worry. I'll never forget the man. Now, I'm not going to condone. I can't condone what my father does. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in charge of him. I'm a kid. So I'm just relaying to you the incidents and, as they unfolded, okay? I'm not condoning this. And so as the man is pulling up in his car, who I'd never met before, the bill collector, coming to our house right there in Chicago, my dad busts out the door, and all the kids were at the window. We're watching, me and my six brothers and sisters. And he runs to the man. As the man throws his car in park, my dad pulls him out of his window. Now, I, I'm just explaining to you what happened. Don't, I'm not condoning this. Pulls him out of the window and flings him across our yard. Flings him. And the man, you know, he's clearly disheveled, gets up and starts to run from my dad, to which my dad just slowly walks and grabs him again and flings him across the yard. My mom's like, Tom! You know, like she's trying to wake him up. Tom! You know? And I remember sitting there like my eyes were wide open. And all of a sudden, my dad went from being the used car salesman who wears socks up to his knees to a superhero. Man jumps in his car, leaves, and we never hear from him again. Now, I don't, you're like, that's illegal. You shouldn't do that. And I don't condone that, in fact. I think that's probably a poor way to handle things. But I want to tell you what it did to me psychologically as an 11-year-old boy. I remember going to bed that night. I remember going to bed that night. I remember, like, sitting there and just reveling over what I saw. And I remember thinking to myself, we're stronger than I thought. Like, as a family unit? We're a lot stronger. And that's where I think the mafia thing kind of came into my mind. Like, we're a lot stronger than I originally thought we were. I'm not saying what he did was right, but it changed something in me. Up to that point, I've been worried. Like, everyone's, I'm a victim. They're going to take from us. They're going to take from us. And it dawned on me that day that not everyone can take from you. Sometimes you're stronger than you think you are. The next thing that happened to me was probably, I don't know, that same year, there was a bully that kept messing with me. And my father had a rule with all of us growing up. Now, again, I can't condone this. And I, I, I understand where we are sitting, the east side, Bellevue, Washington. And so here, gangs are an urban legend, okay? But where I grew up, that was reality. And so you had to learn to defend yourself at the schools I went to. It just didn't happen. And I know some of you are like, I don't know if I agree with it. I don't care if you agree with it. It was my life. 
And so you either defend yourself or you just get beaten to a pulp. That was just the way it was. Now, my dad had a rule. He's like, don't ever start a fight. And you can't fight if someone calls you names. You know, we don't do that. Words, you just walk away. But if they hit you, then you inform them. That's free. Turn to the cheek. One more time, and I will defend myself. This is how every fight I ever got involved in. You hit me one more time, I'm going to defend myself. So I remember there's this bully, and he, not only had he hit me, but he had a bat, and he was swinging it. We were playing a baseball game. He didn't like it. So he's swinging the bat, swinging the bat, swinging the bat, swinging the bat, and he's yelling, and he's cursing, and he'd already hit me once. I was like, I was, and I didn't want him to hit me with the bat, but I'm like, if you come near me one more time, I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to defend myself. And so sure enough, he drops the bat, lunges, I handle business, and a big deal, all right? What I didn't realize, or what I did realize, but what made it complicated is that this, this family and this bully, they went to my parents' church. So the dad had a real issue with the pastor and the pastor's son, who he labeled a striker. And so I remember I was in this, we were at the church and he was talking to my dad. He was yelling at my dad, yelling at him. He's like, your son's a striker. And my dad's like, listen, I, I don't think you know your son, who's older than me, he's a bully. He beats up little children. You know, my dad's like trying to explain to him is he's just a terrible, terrible child. You've done a terrible, you know, done a terrible job raising him. <laughs> he's like trying to be a pastor and help this man. But this man, and he's, you know, you know, he had something to prove. And he's just getting up in my dad's face. And I'm, I'm like peeking through the door and I'm listening. And I remember one point my dad's like, hey, man, you, you might want to sit down and stop saying so much because you're, you're saying a little much. And I'll never forget this man said, he's like, what are you going to do? You're a pastor. You can't do anything. And he got my dad's face. And I, was, I remember looking, and I'm watching this. And I remember, I, I must be 12 years old. I'm like, oh, snap. Because I had seen glimpses of my dad. And here's what my dad said when this man said, what are you going to do? can't do anything. You're a pastor. My dad says, whether I can or I can't, you're about to find out if I will. And I remember like, oh, snap. And that man sat down. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I remember going to sleep that night. I remember going to sleep that night. I remember it as vividly as it was yesterday, thinking to myself, my dad is going to take care of things no matter what. Those two thoughts kind of changed the course of my worrying as a child. And looking back, I was, it was looking at my father that I realized we're stronger than I thought. And my dad's going to take care of things no matter what. Now, can I just take that whole thought and translate it right now into our lives? As followers of God, how much more so is it true that we are stronger than maybe we initially thought and that our Father, God, is going to take care of things for us no matter what. Look what it says in, in Psalms 29, verse 11. And these are my two points. This, for, for the last sermon of 2021, I have two points, and here they are. God makes us strong, and God gives us peace. Those are my two points. God makes us strong. And God gives us peace. As followers of Jesus, doesn't mean we're better than everyone else. Doesn't make me more holy than everyone else. It simply means if I've put my faith in God, here's the promise. God makes me strong and God gives me peace. The Bible declares that God makes us strong. The reason God makes us strong is because God is the strongest. He's the strongest. There is no one stronger than God. Um, and I understand that strong is relative. So what you consider to be strong, what I consider to be strong, we do different things. I remember once I was benching in my garage as a sophomore in high school, and I was benching 200 pounds. It's not a lot of weight, but for a sophomore in high school, it's decent. My dad came home while I'm benching in the garage. He walks over and spots me. 
puts his hands there. And when he gets, when I get done, I'm feeling myself a little bit like, what do you think about that, Dad? You know, 200 pounds, no big deal. And I remember I was like, that's impressive. Good for you. And then he picked it up and just started to curl it. <laughs> True story. I mean, not with one arm, with <laughs> two, but still. And I remember like, strong, strong is relative, right? Um, a four-year-old is strong compared to an infant. A teenager is strong compared to a four-year-old. A grown man is strong compared to a teenager. I am strong compared to a grown man. <laughs> Jordan is strong compared to me. <laughs> like the bodybuilders are strong compared to me. Cancer is strong compared to bodybuilders. Global pandemic is strong compared to cancer. God is strong compared to a global pandemic. It's, it's relative, right? Strong is relative. He makes us strong because he is the strongest. Okay, go back to the, the yeah, go back right here to the, the, crisp, the Christmas narrative. No, no, Luke chapter two. You were there. Thanks, guys. Suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, look what they say here. Glory to God in the highest. Where? The highest. It doesn't say glory to God on high. Scripture doesn't say glory to God in heaven. Well, that would be true, but that's not what it says. It doesn't say glory to God above. It says glory to God in the highest. Do you know that literally translate in the Greek, the most high. God is the most high. Think of the greatest, highest, most powerful thing you can think of. And God is higher than that. He is the most high. So God, the highest, makes me strong. Everything he does is right. Everything he is, is powerful. Everything about God is great. And everything he says is true. Did you know that? Did you know that everything God says is true? In fact, if it wasn't true before he said it, by the time the words finished coming out of his mouth, before he could even finish saying it, what wasn't true would be true. Molecules and atoms would come into alignment and obey the highest of the highs. He is the most high. In the beginning, in Genesis, the Bible says, God said, let there be light. Do you know that God said, let there be light before light was even a thing? Did you know that? Let there be what? Light's not even a thing. But when God said it, it became a thing the moment he said it. Let there be light. When God says it, it's true because God is the highest. So here's what that means for you and me on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That means whatever God says over us, we can find supernatural strength in what he says. So when I read in the Bible, God says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I can believe it and it can give me strength. No weapon, no boss, no person that's out to get you, no haters, <laughs> no weapon formed against me, no, no disease, no virus, I can actually believe that and it can give me strength because when God says it, it's true because God is the highest. 
When I read scripture verses like greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, I can take that and it can give me strength because God is the highest. Words like with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. I can believe it. I can live my life in such a way because God is the highest. Words like be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. That's all throughout scripture. It's the number one commandment throughout all of scripture. Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. I can actually live that way and find strength in those words because if God said it, that settles it. It's true because God is the highest. And because God is the most high, he gives us divine strength in difficult seasons. Divine strength. Can I tell you one of the things I think separates followers of Jesus from everyone else? It's not our good works. I've met people who don't know Jesus who are way kinder than some Christians I know. You have too. Christians, we can be guilty of being super dogmatic, super judgmental. I know people don't even know Jesus and they're just super kind, just friendly, helpful, sweet. But you know what separates us? Is the fact that we can, fear can perpetuate, yet in the midst of difficult seasons, we are strong. We have divine strength because it's not based on us. It's based on the most high. That's why, like, when I hear about these, these, these new variants that are coming, and when I think about what could happen in the city that we live in, the states, when it thinks about the pandemic and the diseases, and then you go outside of the pandemic and you start thinking about the political things and, the, and you start thinking about the wars and you think about the atrocities and the social things that happen, and you start thinking about all the terrible, fearful, and they are real. There are so many things to be afraid of in life today. As if there weren't before, it seems like there's a million more today. Maybe they've always been there, but now we can just see it all. But there's so much to be afraid of, yet what separates us as followers of Jesus, is that God makes us strong. He makes us strong. I'm not strong because of God. God makes me strong. Can I give you a few examples in Scripture? Um, Jonathan in Scripture, I think it's in 1 Samuel 14. Jonathan was, was the son of King Saul. And the Israelite people, they are, they're, they're in a battle that they're losing, and the odds are way against them. And there's kind of a stalemate. And Jonathan one day, who was a good friend of King David, Jonathan says, you know what? He turns to his buddy. He's like, why don't we go over to this cliff? There's about 30, 40 guys. How about you and I go over there and let's fight them? And if we defeat them, I'm pretty sure the tide of this battle will shift and we'll get the momentum and we'll win. And, and his friend's like, okay, I mean, do you think we can do it? He's like, I don't know. And here's the word he uses. Oh, yeah. Here's what, look what Jonathan says. Look what he says. He says, perhaps... The Lord will act in our behalf. Perhaps. He's going to go fight 30 men, him and one other guy. And his whole, his whole, like, his, he's not like, I know that God will. God spoke to me in a dream, gave me seven dreams, in fact. And the interpretation came on a Sunday, and someone got up and spoke a prophetic word, and it was sealed in my heart. No, no, no. He just goes, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe God will show up on our behalf. Talk about strength. God makes us strong. And so Jonathan goes on a perhaps, and the Bible says that they do win, and the tide does change, and the battle does belong to them, because he was strong because of God. Remember Paul in the Bible? Of course you remember Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. In Acts chapter 28, or 28, yeah, verse 5, Paul is on the island of Malta, and he's just been shipwrecked. He's supposed to die in that shipwreck, but he didn't die. Why? Because God makes us strong. 
and the people that were with him because they were with Paul. The Bible says that they didn't die too because they were with Paul. And Paul makes his people, and God makes his people strong. So they're on the island and they've, they've, they've survived a shipwreck. And in Acts chapter 28, the Bible says that Paul is warming himself over the fire and a poisonous viper jumps out and bites him. Now, this is a death. This is a death sentence. And all the islanders on that island, they're like, oh, this man must have been a bad man because he's, he's, he's dead. He will die for this, from this poison, from this viper. The Bible says that Paul looks at the snake, shakes it off, just keeps warming his hands. God makes us strong. Strong. Stronger than we could ever be on our own. Supernaturally strong. You ever go through a hard moment? Ever go through a difficult diagnosis? You ever have to battle through bankruptcy or lose a loved one or a relationship ends or betrayal? Yet somehow in the midst of it, it hurt. You remember it. You didn't shoot a hundred. There were some bad and low moments. But at the end of it, even people would come up to you and be like, man, like... It's amazing. It's inspiring. Kind of how you've, oh, that's right. God makes me strong. We're stronger than we initially thought. There were three teenagers in Daniel chapter three. Three teenagers. Not just for men and women who are seasoned in God and have, and have prayed through the fire. We do and we have and I'm grateful for it. But three teenagers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king, the great king, the nation says, you have to bow before these idols. And these three teenagers who love God, they're like, we can't because we, we pay allegiance to God and we can't bow before these golden images. And the king says, you'll bow or you'll burn. I'll throw you in the furnace if you don't bow before that. And these three, these three teenagers who have put their faith in God, the Bible says that they say, oh, great king. They weren't disrespectful. They're like, do your best, man. No, they were super respectful. Like, oh, great king. We would love to honor you, but there's a higher power. Uh, he's the most high. He's glory to God in the highest, and, he's, and we must honor him so we cannot bow. And if you throw us in the fire, then so be it. God could save us if he chooses to, but we will not bow. And the king is so upset. He says, crank up the fire. And he has men throw these three teenagers into a burning furnace. The Bible tells us in Daniel that the furnace was so hot that the men who threw them in died just from the residual. And here are three teenagers thrown in. They should have been incinerated on, on, on the spot, but they weren't. And the king looks in there, instead of three, there's four. He says, what's happening? They're walking around. It looks like they're praising God. And what's the fourth person? It looks like the son of God. And so he calls to them, and they come out. And the Bible says when the three teenagers come out, they don't even smell like smoke. Not one hair on their body is singed. And they say, our God is the real God. And he says, and from this point forward, everyone will worship your God. God makes us strong. God makes us strong. My experiences don't make me strong. I mean, I, I've learned from my experiences. My build doesn't make me strong. I'm glad that I can throw up some weight. Um, my, my family name, my bankroll, my education, my creed, my, my, my tenure, my, my knowledge, my intellect. That's, I'm, I'm grateful for all of it. But that alone is not strong enough. God makes us strong. Are you going through a fire right now? Are you in a situation that seems impossible? Glory to God in the highest. In the highest. Where are you taking your problems? Where are we taking our needs? I mean, I could take it anywhere, but I, if I have a choice, I would choose the strongest 
and the highest and the most powerful. My Bible tells me I can because God makes his people strong. And he gives his people peace. Point number two, wrapping it up. Two points, last sermon of the year. God makes us strong. God gives us peace. The Christmas narrative, Luke 2, 14, the angel said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Notice that they don't say in this moment salvation. Now, we know that because of Jesus, we are saved. But notice what, what they say at the culmination of God coming to earth. Here's what you get. Peace. Peace with God and peace with others. This is an amazing, amazing thought to me. God gives us peace. He makes us strong. He takes what we go through and he makes us strong because he's the highest. But peace is a gift. And the only way you get a gift is to receive it. It's Christmas. It's coming around, right? You can get a bunch of gifts on Christmas. But what if every time someone hands you a gift, like, no, thank you. No, thanks. Good. I'm all good. Here's the keys to it. No, no, thanks. I'm all good. All good. You have to receive a gift before it's ever a gift. I can give you, but you have to receive it. Bible says that God gives us peace, but there are some followers of Jesus who don't have peace because we haven't received the peace that God gives. You've probably heard this before, but my, my wife, Jennifer, we've been married for 25 years. When she was 22, um, probably three years into marriage, she had a stroke almost died, come to find out she had a, a terrible, terrible heart condition. She had to undergo open heart surgery at a very young age. And it was life and death. And she would recover, thank God. And you know the story, and you've probably heard it. I've shared it multiple times. But it would be six months for her to recover. They had to cut her sternum and everything, and, just, and she couldn't move. And so I'll never forget the day after the surgery or the day of the surgery. The doctors came and got me. They said, she made it through. She's in, she's in the waiting room of ICU. You can go see her. She just had a tube taken out of her mouth. She'd been in her surgery for like six, seven hours. Like, so she can't talk. She'd probably be completely unresponsive. But I was like, I got to see my wife, you know. And they're like holding me back. You know? I think I'm going to move. Like, Let me see her. You know? and they're like, sir, you can't, you can't, you know, why don't you like excite her? We only want you kissing her, but you can't, okay, you're crazy. We'll let you just see her. I'm like, let me see her. You know, and I remember I get into the room and I see you and I'm trying to be quiet, but I just, you know, this is my baby, it's my wife. And I'll never forget, she opened her eyes. And she couldn't move, and she couldn't talk, and she, like, did this little half smile, and then she just popped her thumb up. I'll never forget it for as long as I live. It was, first of all, I was like, God, she's sexy. Also, super strong. But it was, it was after that moment she had peace. I was like, that's, that's what separates us. She'd just gone through the worst experience probably of her life up to that point. And she, her body is destroyed. She's literally been broken in half. And she opens her eyes, smiles, puts her thumb up. Peace. God gives his people peace. Do not confuse this with thinking that God makes everything peaceful. Because he does not. Don't, don't get confused. And I think that sometimes there's like offshoots of religion. Offshoots of make peace, not make like love, not war. Offshoots, offshoots. God doesn't make everything peaceful because not everything is peaceful. God gives us peace in the midst of the violence. 
He doesn't make everything peaceful. He could. He's God. He could snap his fingers. Just like he said, let there be light. He could be like, let there be peace. He did it with the waters and the waves and the scriptures. Remember, he's like, peace, be still. And it happened. But he won't do it with people because he's given us free will. He could just tell you, peace, you're done. Your opinions, your attitude, your bad behavior, your violence, your prone, your proclivities to ripping people out of their cars and flinging them across the yard. Peace. He could just do that. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He gives us peace in the midst of the violence, but we have to receive it. He doesn't make everything peaceful. The story of Jesus coming to earth is anything but peaceful. I know like on Christmas Eve, I'm going to go because I love it. I'm going to go to like a nativity somewhere. It's going to be a little baby Jesus and the shepherds are going to be there and the wise men who actually didn't come for like 14 years later, but they're going to be there on that night and they're all like the stars and the, and the cattle. They're going to be like super kind and they're going to be licking and everything. There won't be no, they won't be doing like, there'll be no manure. You know, it'll be beautiful and the swaddling cloth will be made of silk and there'll be angels serenading silent night. Oh, and it'll be so peaceful. But that was not the way it happened. When Jesus came to earth as a baby, he was on a rescue mission to save a dying, lost world. And from the moment he opened his eyes, the devil was trying to kill him. From the moment he opened his eyes, it was a full-on, I know here we're like, oh, silent But in heaven and in the spiritual realms, there was a war to kill the Son of God. And it culminated on a cross where he was brutalized beyond recognition. And when he died, hell thought they won. And Jesus said, it is finished. And hell knew, oh, when he said it's finished, what he really means is it's only just begun, right? It was a war. This was not peaceful. But Jesus was peace in the midst of it all. That's why he came as a baby. Like this is the most violent thing you're about to ever. This is the fight for humanity. And I'll come as a child. And God and the angels declare on that night, peace on earth. He gives us peace. He doesn't, he doesn't make everything peaceful. And in the midst of dark days, we have peace. Life is hard. But I can say that with a smile, and so can you if we follow Jesus. Um, can I just hit you with a thought for a second. Choose your heart. Life is hard. I would love to be in church and be like, life isn't hard. It's so, it's, you know, it's all like snowflakes and, and, you know, reindeer and Rudolph and Frosty. I'd love for it, but it's not, it's not. It's hard. You've been through it. I've been through it. I'm not going to stay in the hard, but choose your heart because it's all hard. I was at a party a couple years ago, and it was, there was this moment, and no one meant anything bad, but there was, there was some friends who had three kids, and they were just kind of, you know, expressing how difficult it is to have three kids around the same age, young, and then there was another f- friend that was at the same party, and they, they had been trying to have kids for years, and they couldn't. They couldn't have kids. They've been trying. They have kids now, but they were trying, and this it had been years. And I'll never forget the, the friend with kids. She made this comment. She's like, man, having kids is hard. And the friend who couldn't have it chimed in and said, not having kids is hard, too. Choose your heart. Life is hard. Have you ever heard people, I, I probably even go this in, marriage is hard work. <sighs> I've been married for 25 years. I would echo that. It's the greatest hard work I've ever done, but marriage is hard work. But there's probably people in here who've been single for longer than you want to be single, and you would say to us, being single is hard, too. Choose your heart. Life is hard. 
Like, if you're just thinking, like, I mean, God's just going to, like, <laughs> everything go away. He's not. No, no, no. But he, but he will give us peace in the midst of the heart. In the dark days, he gives his people peace. I know it's hard. It's hard for you. It's hard for me. It's hard for them. It's hard for us all. But in the midst of it, he's not taking away the hard, by the way. It, the difficulty is here. But we will have peace in those difficult days. I am not worried about what's ahead. I had some friends call me and some well-meaning people like, hey man, this could be the end times. And we've talked about this before. I'm not gonna make light of it, but I just wanna let you know where I stand. People are like, you know, this could be the end times. Like, we, this could be it, man. What if, what if this is the apocalypse? What does that even mean? What if this is the end days and we're gonna take the mark of the beast? And I, I don't know anything about all that. You read Revelation and if you can explain it, then you would be wrong because nobody can explain that book. By the way, run from the person who says they can. Some of it's allegory, some of it's practical. You can't tell. I mean, it's a mystery. Some of it's a mystery. I love the book, but you don't know. Here's how it ends. No man knows the day nor the hour. Okay, so thank you for that. I've had friends be like, what are we going to do, man? What are we going to do? They keep, things keep happening. It's getting worse. We're all moving. <laughs> I'm not mad at you. I'm not. Call. I'll be here. I'm not worried. I refuse to be worried about tomorrow. God gives us peace. Gives me peace. There's so many things to worry about. There are. But God makes me strong. And God gives me peace. And I can have peace not knowing what new variants will come, what new mandates will come, what new restrictions will come, what new social injustices will occur. And they will. It's going to happen. I'm not being a doomsayer here. You know it. If we've anything the last two years have taught us is that it will. It will happen. But somehow, followers of Jesus will find peace in the violence. Peace. How will we fix it? It's beyond me to fix. Though the church will fix it. The church can't fix it. <laughs> you give the church too much credit. And I say that as a pastor of a church, the church can simply point you and me to the one who can fix it. And then we can walk with you along the way. Please do not get that confused. Church is not the answer to the world. Jesus is. I can show you him. And I can walk with you as we go. He's going to fix it. And I'll be there. I'll do what he tells me to do. Be faithful when he tells I'll do my best. You'll do your best. But God is the remedy to the world. Jesus is the remedy, not the church. He, he built the church, and he will build his church. But Jesus is the remedy. Can I read you a moment in Scripture, Psalms 3? This is King David. Talk about dark days. King David writes this psalm. He's at the height of his success, towards the end of his life. He is literally dubbed a man after God's own heart. He has won more battles than you and I will ever even be able to count. He's slayed giants. He's famous. He's written so many number one hit songs back in the day. I mean, dude is the man. He is revered, even probably somewhat idolized by people. He is King David at the top of his career. He will write this psalm very closely before his death. And let me tell you the context of Psalms chapter 3. He is the king of all kings. David is so revered by heaven that even Jesus refers to him as son, himself as son of David. Like it's, it's, it's one of his names, one of his names. 
And David is writing this psalm as he is running from his life from a man who is trying to kill him. And that man is his own son, Absalom. That's what he writes this psalm. He's at the top. Success is his. There has never been a greater man. And in this moment, his own son, he birthed him, he raised him, he loved him, he gave him everything he has. Absalom is trying to kill David so that he can take his kingdom. This is where this psalm comes out. So have you seen dark days? I, I doubt it gets any darker than this. And it didn't matter how successful it was. I'll read. Now, now I'll read it now that you have context. Lord, I have so many enemies, so many who are against me. Listen to how they whisper their slander against me, saying, look, he's hopeless. Even God can't save him from this. It doesn't matter how great you are. It doesn't matter how much success you've experienced. It doesn't matter how esteemed you are, how famous you are, or how much you own, or how much you have, or how much you control. David has all of that. And here he is in this moment. It goes on, but in the depths of my heart, I truly know that you, God, have become my shield. You take me and surround me with yourself. Your glory covers me continually. You lift high my head. I have cried out to you, Yahweh, from your holy presence. You send me a father's help. Look at verse 5. So now I'll lie down and sleep like a baby. Look at that. I mean, it doesn't get any darker than this moment. And look at the peace that David, I'll lie down, I'll sleep like a baby, and then I'll awake in safety for you surround me with your glory. Even though 10,000 dark powers prowl around me, I won't be afraid. God gives us peace. It doesn't matter how successful we are, you will always need the peace of God. I don't care how much you gain or how much you accomplish. My goals have changed, by the way. I don't know if it's being, I don't know if it was 2020 or if it was just hitting my 40s, but my goals have changed. I used to be such a goal-oriented guy, and I'm all for goals, by the way. I mean, but I mean, I was goal-driven. Every, every January, here it comes, right? New year, I'm goal. I got 15 goals, write them out, have them inscribed. I'd like create things around the house, put them up on the mirror. I'd have a little bookmark everywhere. I'm goals, 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 goals. My goals have so changed. Someone asked me the other day, they were asking about the church, and they were like, man, you met your growth, you met your growth goal huh, for this year. Wow, look at that. When did you guys start? Growth goal. And I was like, there never was a growth goal. Like, what? Surely you had a goal. No, no, there's never been a goal. I think growth isn't the goal, it's the result. Can I just go on record as saying that? Can you know, as a pastor of this community, we will never make a decision in this community based on whether the church grows, never. Growth isn't a goal, it's a result. Growth is a result. For a church, for me, it's a result. It's a, revo- a result of doing what God told us to do, being faithful to who we are, being true to who he told us to be, walking in peace and walking in faith and doing what he said. And that's not the goal. We'll never make a decision. Will it grow the ministry? Will it grow the church? Will it bring in more seats? Will it bring in more money? We'll never make a decision on that because growth isn't the goal. Success isn't the goal. Victory isn't the goal. I believe all of those things are results for those who follow God. Because he makes us strong and he gives us peace. It's a result. Here's my goal. Because I have seen, I have seen success without peace. And I want nothing of it. I've seen it. Success that costs you your peace. Riches 
that cost you your soul. Now, I believe you can have success and great wealth and not lose those things. But please don't make it the goal. It will merely be the result of us putting our trust and our faith in God. Jesus said out of his own mouth, I will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail. God will build the church. What a great church you've built. We didn't build this. We didn't build this and we won't build it five years from now. We're simply going to show up, be who God called us to be, do what God told us to do today. Today, we'll do that and he'll be faithful. And growth will be a result, not a goal. What do you, what do you a couple thousand in a year or so? There's no goal. You're in the goal. We are literally standing in the prayers of God. And some of you with us a year ago, we prayed, God, give us a space. We are standing in that prayer. We're standing. And you know what? A year from now, we'll be standing in the other prayers. And God will lead. And God will not just do that for this church. He will do it for your life. Because God makes us strong. And God gives us peace. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. My goal is to live in the peace that God gives. He makes me strong. He gives me peace. He is my rock and my refuge. How do you get through all the hard things you get through? God is my rock. I'm saying that for you because I know I'm looking at the faces in this room as I can see you. And that's true for you. How did you get through the divorce? He's my rock. How did you get through the hard time and the, and the, the layoff and the, and the financial struggles? He was my rock. How did you get through your kids rebelling and, and telling you they hate you? <sighs> Man, that was hard. God was my rock. And then how, how can you smile today and, and still celebrate? Oh, because he's my peace. How can you have joy in the midst of fear and uncertainty? Well, because he, he's my refuge. I run to him. I find safety in him. I find refuge. He is my rock, and he is my refuge. I'd like to finish this last sermon of the year with a verse that I think would be fitting. It's Psalms 116. It's actually the verse that is the inspiration for the name of this church. It doesn't make it better than any other verse, but... It means something to us as a community. And I love what it says. The psalmist writes in Psalms 116. I'll just read verses 1 through through 8. But listen to what it says in light of what we said. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice and he heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Over and over and over and over and over again. I'll just call on the Lord. When I married my wife, it wasn't I love you and I'll let you know if anything changes. It was I love you every day for the rest of our lives. And I need to keep saying it every day, all the time. I call on the Lord all the time. Not just when I ask him to save my soul, but every day in my marriage, as a parent, as a friend, as a man, as a follower of Jesus, as a business owner, as a pastor, I will call on the Lord as long as I live. And the cords of death entangled me. And the anguish of the grave came upon me and I was overcome by trouble sorrow. I was overcome by it. And then I called on the name of the Lord again and I said, oh Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and the Lord is righteous. Our God is full of compassion and the Lord protects the simple hearted and when I was in great need he saved me. Not just one time, 
Yeah, 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 he saved my soul. But he saves me regularly. When I was in great need, he saved me. Look at verse 7, and this is, Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been so good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. You're my rock, and you're my refuge. God, I pray right now that as we end this year, which has been, it's been a good one and it's been a bad one. There's been highs and there's been lows. We've seen you and we've missed you. But Father, as we end this year on this Sunday, Lord, I pray that as we go into these next few days and weeks, Lord, that we would see you and that we would remember you. Lord, that we would remind ourselves once again that you make us strong and thank you for your peace Jesus thank you for your peace thank you that you wipe the tears from our eyes you keep our feet from stumbling you save us when we cannot save ourselves Lord help us to go into this this new year Lord with you first and foremost not all of our goals. And I thank you for the goals that you give us and the dreams that you put in our hearts, and we'll go for it, but not over you. We're not going for the gifts over the gift giver. We're not going for the purposes over the purpose giver, Lord. We, we seek you. Let all of it just be the result of following Jesus. Pray for marriages and families and finances and those that are struggling with sickness and disease, and I come against fear fear that so easily entangles all of us, all of us, none of us are immune to it, God. Give us courage, make us strong, and give us peace according to your word, because you are the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest fears, higher than my troubles, higher than my failures, higher than my mistakes, higher than my concerns and my worries and the betrayal and the hurt and the addiction. You're higher. Higher than the offense. You're higher. Higher than the bitterness. Higher than the abuse. Higher than that divorce. Higher than the financial. High, you're higher. You're, you're the highest. Help us to see you there. In Jesus' name. With every eye closed, just give you an opportunity. If you're in here, salvation is, is a free gift. And all you have to do, the Bible says, is call on the name of the Lord. Believe it in your heart. Put your faith in Jesus and live accordingly. Just not perfect, but just live as if you're saved. As if you know that there's a God who's all-powerful who loves you and has rescued you. I'd be honored to pray with you. In just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you'd like to pray that prayer this morning, and then I'll count to three. I'm going to do that. If you, if you wouldn't mind, if, if that's you, would you raise your hand, and we'll pray. And my Bible tells me that in that moment, you will find salvation. And you might not see it here or feel it here, but all of heaven will celebrate in that moment. The Bible says that all of heaven celebrates when just one person puts their faith in God. That could be yours today. So I'd be honored to pray with you. If you're in here and you say, today is the day. 
that I put my faith in Jesus. When I count to three, would you raise your hand and just put it right back down so I know who I'm praying for and I'll pray for you. One, two, three, wherever you are. Thank you, thank you. I got you, I got you. Anyone else? I got, I got you in the balcony. Anyone else? Every eye closed between you and God. I see you. Amen. God, you see our hands, you know our hearts. In this moment, we choose you. I choose you, Jesus. I choose you over everything I've gone for. Forgive me for my mistakes and my failures. Thank you that you loved me when I didn't love you. From this day forward, I put my trust and faith in you. Lord, I was a sinner and I've been found. I was lost and you have found me in this moment. And from this day forward, I won't look back. I may not understand everything about you, but I know that you love me. And so I love you and I trust you and I choose to follow you in this day. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen.